0: Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at GetPuroAir.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time for the people in the back, GetPuroAir.com. I'm Stephanie Safarian, and this is episode 112. You are listening to the Sustainable Minimalist Podcast, a show about living simply and sustainably with your family. Here's your host, Stephanie Safarian. Hello there and welcome back. On today's show, we are discussing what microplastics are exactly and whether we should be concerned about microplastic pollution. Now, microplastics, they are everywhere. They are in our oceans. They are in the bellies of animals. They are in the bellies of humans. (laughs) They are in our air, our rain, and even in our stool. Microplastics have turned up pretty much everywhere that scientists have looked for them. But even still, the health effects of microplastics on humans and on animals, and most importantly, on our planet, those health effects are widely unknown. My guest today is Erica Burnell. Erica is a graduate student of marine biology, and she is one of the three founders of the Plastic Wave Project, which is a nonprofit based in New Jersey that raises awareness about the effects of plastic pollution on our oceans. Erica is on the show today to answer our most pressing questions as they relate to microplastics. Now be sure to stay tuned for after the interview, I am giving my two cents on those eco-friendly products that are on the market that say they collect the microfibers in our laundry. Enjoy the interview. Erica, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm really thrilled to talk to you all about microplastics and what you're doing in terms of researching microplastics. Before we even get there, please introduce yourself. Tell us who you are, what you do, and why you're doing it.
1: Well, thank you so much, Stephanie, for having me on the show. Um, We're so excited to be part of a podcast in general. This is our first time speaking on a podcast, so it's just really exciting to be asked to be on one. So my name is Erica Bernal, and I am a master's student at Montclair State University, and I'm currently finishing up my master's in marine and coastal sciences. Um, My thesis focused on the impacts of microplastics on the Eastern oyster, and that's basically how I just got started and learning about plastic pollution and microplastics in general and just made me really want to do something about it.
0: We're talking today about microplastics, and that's a really popular word right now. Everybody's talking about microplastics, but what are they exactly? What is the definition of a microplastic, and how are they even formed?
1: Sure. So yeah, microplastics is definitely the hot topic right now. Um, By definition, they are small pieces of plastics that are five millimeters or less. And they're basically two ways in which they're formed, I guess you can say. They either are created by the breakdown of larger plastic items like your plastic bags, your bottles, your food wrappers, fishing line, etc. That breakdown of those larger products end up breaking down into smaller bits. And then you can also have Manufacture types of microplastics, which are created for a particular purpose. So they're usually in like a form of a bead. Um, and they're added as fill-ins in a lot of our products that we use in our everyday lives. So there's a bunch of different types of microplastics that you can have. They all vary in size, shape, and their overall makeup. But you can have, again, nurdles and microbeads. Uh, foam, which comes from a lot of our food containers and our shipping supplies, Um, fragments, again, those larger pieces that break down into those smaller bits from your straws, your water, soda bottles, beach toys, your toothbrush. And then finally, I'm sure that we're familiar with fibers. That's something that I heard your last episode on your podcast, you really talked about. And those are kind of what the different types of microplastics that there are out there right now. So five millimeters, and smaller
0: i believe was the size definition of a microplastic are some microplastics so small that the human eye can't see them yet they're still detrimental
1: yes definitely um, those are kind of what we refer to as nanoplastics so there's micro there's there's big plastic then there's microplastic and then there is nanoplastic and i believe there's even a smaller size which you can't see at all but the belief is that plastic is everywhere. And the problem with it is that it just doesn't go away. So it's believed that every single piece of plastic that's ever been created or manufactured, it's still on this planet in one form or another. So five millimeters or less are kind of what we use to define microplastics. It's about the size of an eraser, I want to say a pencil eraser.
0: When I hear microplastics being discussed, it's often used in the framework of talking about the health of our oceans. And I know you said that your thesis was on microplastics effects on oysters, I believe.
1: Yes, yes, yes. So I did a um, feeding experiment where I exposed oysters to four different types of plastics. So a lot of the times uh, when we Think of plastic, you know, we think of your bags, your straws, everything I kind of mentioned earlier. And we kind of group those items together and we refer to them all as plastic. But that's a big misconception because there's a there's a lot of things that get added into these plastic items before we even get our hands on them. And so that kind of messes up with their molecular composition and things like that. And so What I did was for my experiment, I exposed four different types of plastic to oysters. I essentially fed them plastic, um, and I wanted to see what kind of um, effects that they would have on them, whether or not it would cause blockages in their body or maybe just um, have an effect on their everyday life functions.
0: Okay, so I'm going to ask you in a little bit what you found. We're going to give listeners a little bit of suspense here, if that's okay. I want to ask you about Obviously, the big plastics, the plastic bottles, the cartons and containers. We've all seen the terrible photos of whales with stomachs full of the big plastic stuff. I I think we're all in agreement that the big plastic is really harmful to our oceans and ocean wildlife. But how exactly is the microplastics,
1: the small stuff, detrimental
0: to our oceans?
1: So, the reason why microplastics are so detrimental to our oceans is because they're really really small and it's hard for our filtration system to basically prevent them from entering our ocean and waterways waterways now we there are studies that show wastewater treatment plants are able to block some of it out but for the most part they're not really built to do that so they're not really as effective now if you're brushing your teeth and you know your bristles come off your brush and or you're using a facial scrub with microbeads if those beads are going to wash directly down into your drainage system, into the sewage system, and then, you know, get out into the environment, eventually it makes its way into the ocean. And then these plastics, they can either sit at the surface of the water or they can sink. Um, so they can be pretty much found throughout the water column. And the reason why that's so harmful is because... A lot of these organisms, they mistake them for food or they just ingest them by trying to eat their regular prey. And so what happens is when these microplastics sit in the ocean, they actually begin to act like a sponge and they kind of absorb all of the chemicals and toxins that are already in the water. Now, when species of crabs, fish, mussel, these are typically individuals that are at the bottom of the food chain. When they go and eat these microplastics, again, because they mistake them for food, they can either physically cause blockages in their digestive tracts and other areas that ultimately can cause the animal to either eat less or spend less energy on their daily life functions. Chemically, once the microplastics are ingested, they can; those toxins can also be consumed by the animal. And then these things have shown to cause a lot of health effects like hormone disruptions, cancer, reproductive issues, it's just really, really bad for them in general, just for them to be consuming these these plastic particles, so
0: then I have to ask if microplastics are causing so many health problems in marine wildlife, should humans be concerned about health consequences from microplastics for ourselves too? are and asked another way, are microplastics harming human health that
1: is That is such a tough question. It's hard for me to either say yes or no. And there are studies that've shown we are consuming microplastics because again, plastic is everywhere. It's in our air, it's in the soil, it's in everything the food that we eat. Essentially, if you buy seafood and you don't know what that animal ate before it gets on your plate. You're essentially eating whatever the animal ate before it reaches you. So there are studies that shown that we do have microplastics inside of us. It's believed that we actually consume a credit card's worth of plastic in a week. And again, it's going to be through anything. But as far as having a health impact, it is really hard for science to sit and say, yes, plastic is causing a health issue because our bodies are so complex, right? We put so many things into our bodies and it's really hard for them to just sit and pinpoint one particular thing and say, no, this is coming from plastic or this is coming from this. So it's really hard to just sit there and say, well, yes, we are having a health impact from just plastic. It's it's a gray area. I hope I made sense.
0: (laughs) You did. And it seems to me that plastics, right? They increased in popularity- in usage in food and packaging in the 60s and 70s, right? So that's about 60 years ago. All those plastics are still lingering around. And I wonder whether we're at like a pivotal point in 2020 where all the plastics from the last 60 years, that sheer magnitude of them is, um, it, it hasn't been tested before, but now because of the magnitude of them in our environment, it's time to start (laughs) looking into their effects, not
1: only on marine wildlife, but on human beings as well. Definitely. Um, So now that we kind of know this is, so it's a little tricky when you're doing uh, research. At first, what we're trying to figure out whether or not plastic is, is being ingested by these animals, or it is having an impact on their life. If it is having an impact on their life, then what's to say that it's not having an impact on, on our life? So, Essentially what happens is, you know, we have to do all these tests showing, well, yeah, they are present or are not present, which right now in the literature there's so much information right now showing us that, you know, plastic pollution is present and um, plastic is present inside of these organisms and it, it is there and it is to stay essentially. And so now it's important for us to take it to the next step and kind of figure out, okay, so how is that, how is it impacting, you know, our, our air, how is it impacting our bodies, human bodies, essentially. Um, those are all great questions that now scientists are trying to figure out about plastic pollution hmm. in general.
0: Before we transition into practical steps listeners can take to cut back on microplastic creation, I need to ask you, what did you find with the oysters?
1: Yes. So um, I found that, I so again, I exposed them to four different types. And I found that Two out of the four were consumed pretty much like their regular food. So they oysters, I guess I should start off by saying oysters or bivalves, which is the group that oysters and mussels and clams and all types of shellfish are in. They're really cool because they have this unique ability to reject particles um, that they can't use for food. So a lot of times as they're filtering the water, that's why basically that's why they're so important because they can filter the water for us and they act as ecosystem engineers and things like that. And so through this rejection mechanism, I wanted to see whether or not if I expose them to plastic, would they be able to know, okay, this is not something I should be eating. And I found out that out of two of the four plastics that I was feeding, they weren't able to distinguish whether or not it was plastic or food. Um, One particular plastic type, which was polystyrene, which is again, styrofoam shipping containers, um, shipping supplies and those type of things, that type of plastic, they were just consuming like nothing. It was just like they were eating it left and right weren't able to distinguish whether or not it wasn't it was not they weren't supposed to be eating it now i had another type of plastic which is called polyethylene which is what you will find if you look at a lot of our cosmetic products um just the other day i was i have a four-year-old so just the other day i had bought her a nail polish set and i was trying to figure out why this nail polish was not coming off with acetone so i went and looked at the ingredients Come to find out, it actually had plastic inside of the nail polish, which was preventing the acetone from being able to rip the polish off. So I found in my experiment that polyethylene, they were able to reject it, but it was still found inside of their feces or pseudo feces. And then at the end of the experiment, I found that they weren't able to distinguish whether or not this particular plastic was food and either. I'm sorry, did I make any sense with everything I just said? You did. And so I have
0: to ask, did your research tap into the effects of plastic on the health of the oyster or is that another study?
1: Yeah, that's definitely another study. I would have loved to do that, but um, unfortunately, I just couldn't with the time and money and things like that. I just was able to see whether or not it was present inside of them or not present. Were they able to just reject it or not reject it? But I was not able to look at their health impacts, which I definitely would like to do someday. I want to talk about real practical ways that
0: listeners can cut back on the amount of microplastics they create. But before I do, I just want to say that. This conversation makes me feel as though the plastic problem, but more specifically the microplastic problem, is just almost insurmountable because plastics are not just in our oceans, right? They're in our food. Uh, I saw an article the other day saying that Microplastics are in our rainwater. It's one thing to cut back on products with microbeads. That's a tangible action that listeners can take. But if a bristle falls off your toothbrush, (laughs) I mean, nobody can, nobody's that diligent, right? So I'm interested in your thoughts on what can we all do in our own homes to cut back on microplastics?
1: So it's it's definitely like you said, and I remember another episode that you had on your podcast where a woman came on and she was speaking about being, you know, uh, waste free and how when people hear the word waste free, they kind of like get nervous and it kind of like gets overwhelming for you. And it's kind of similar where we talk about practicing plastic free uh, lifestyles, right? I mean, it's a challenge. Plastic is literally everywhere. And if you're a parent, I mean, for me, particularly, I know, it's really hard for me to go to a grocery store and buy things for my toddler, and it's not wrapped in plastic, or it's just more conveniently that way. But the thing that my nonprofit, um, what we try to do is we just we try to encourage people to just make you know, very small changes in their daily lives. So making small changes. So using things like a reusable water bottle, reusable coffee mug, those are great small changes that you can make. Another thing is just creating the habit of looking at what your clothes are made out of. And you know, looking for items that are either made out of like natural fibers, like organic, or cotton or hemp. Um, I really love that episode that you did on fibers. That was great. Another thing is when you do have to buy synthetics that you can look for recycled contact or semi-synthetics like Tenso, wash your clothes less, less often so that way fibers don't come off of your clothing as much. Again, stay away from purchasing products that have microbeads in them such as polyethylene and things like that and refusing stuff like plastic straws, utensils. Um, another thing that I do is I bring my own, my own food container when I'm going out to eat I know that that's kind of weird when you see this person just coming out with a huge Tupperware at a restaurant, but I I feel better about it than grabbing that styrofoam container they're going to give you. And then another thing is just learning about the recycling in your town. Um, I know that some places don't recycle styrofoam, whereas other places will. So just checking out where in your town things are, you can bring things that can be recycled. Just making small little changes like that could have a big impact and basically just spreading the word, letting people know like, Hey, I, you know, this is actually a big problem for our environment. Like I'm choosing to do this instead. Those are some little things that people can do to make a big impact. It's a lot. I know. I know sometimes when I go on my rent with my family, they're like, this is so much, but I mean, small changes again, little by little, just look at your own daily life and your daily practices and see what you can do in your own life to make the difference? it
0: seems as though all the strategies that we take on a daily basis to reduce waste and to reduce plastic consumption also has the added benefit of reducing microplastic pollution. But I just want to say I w- going back to your bringing a big bulky container for leftovers at the restaurant. I will never take a styrofoam (laughs) container again, because I'm going to be thinking about those poor oysters eating styrofoam and thinking it's food. (laughs) So I'm with you with that container.
1: Definitely. I mean, that was, yeah, that was, for my experiment, that was probably the most shocking thing where I just saw them Every oyster within that group, particular group, styrofoam, polystyrene was just, they were just consuming it like nothing. So that was very, that was a big eye opener for mm-hmm. me as well. I need
0: to ask you about all the products on the market that profess to filter out microplastics. And there are lots of them. You put them in the washing machine, they filter out the plastics from your synthetic clothing. There are a lot of eco friendly products on the market. Some are actually eco friendly, but some of them are just using the eco-friendliness as a way to sell more stuff. So I'm wondering if you have any insight onto whether those microplastic filter products
1: actually work or whether it's just a gimmick. So unfortunately, I don't know too much about these types of products, these filtering products. I myself am very interested in them. I do have a friend that she purchased one of the laundry Um, It's like a ball that you just throw in with your laundry and it kind of picks up the microfibers. Um, From what she's telling me, it doesn't really do a great job because she doesn't actually find anything when she opens it up and tries to take whatever it's supposed to be in there out. So I don't know for sure, though, anything too much about them, unfortunately. Hmm. I'm going to do some research and I'll, I'll get back
0: to my listeners on that. But I'm interested to know because synthetic clothing is not going anywhere.
1: No, of course not. It's booming, if anything. It's just going to probably be more of them on the market. Yeah. And I believe in that fibers
0: episode, I gave the statistic that on average 1,900 microfibers are shed from one piece of clothing every time it's washed. This problem just seems insurmountable. But This is an optimistic podcast, so we're going to do what we can. I want to know all about your nonprofit, The Plastic Wave Project. What are you and your
1: colleagues doing and why are you doing it? Uh, So The Plastic Wave Project is a nonprofit organization that was created by my good friends, Nadia and Rita and myself. Uh, basically, we were doing research together at a um, laboratory. And through this research, we just got really passionate about plastic pollution, and we wanted to make a difference. So we decided to come up with our own nonprofit. And so basically, what our mission is, is we would like to spread awareness on plastic pollution to our local communities here in New Jersey um, by hosting events like local beach cleanups, art shows, and even educational programs for schools. And just hopefully to get people outside and involved in ocean and coastline conservation. We're hoping that through this connection, through people just getting out there and being involved more with their community, we just hope to inspire others on making sustainable changes within their everyday lives. And at the moment, right now, we have a citizen program where we're asking for help from volunteers to go out and collect microplastics from their favorite local beaches here along the Jersey shoreline. Um, It's really simple. So if anyone is listening from New Jersey, you can easily just go on our website, which is the PlasticWaveProject.com, and click on the tab that says Volunteers. And it's really simple. You don't really need too much equipment. It's a very basic study to just get people out and familiar with what microplastics look like and essentially just hopefully inspiring them to make changes in their everyday lives. Hmm.
0: Well, I'll absolutely link to the Plastic Wave Project's website in this week's show notes. For anybody in New Jersey who wants to help or for anybody who's just interested in
1: learning more about what you're doing. Yeah. If your listeners um, want to know what microplastics look like, they can definitely just go on our website and look at what we're doing. All of the methods are there, and we can. you can just go out on your own beaches and look for them. You'll be surprised at how much microplastics are on your beaches and you mm. had no idea.
0: Yeah, that goes back to my um, toothbrush bristle. I mean, I do a beach cleanup with my daughter every Earth Day, and uh,
1: <laughs> we're not going to be seeing any... Toothbrush bristles, but that doesn't mean they're not there, right? Right, exactly. It doesn't mean they're not there. I mean, that's a big misconception that we kind of say oh, out of sight, out of mind. That's kind of what we used to do before. We knew better about anything. We used to just throw our trash into the ocean and it was like, okay, it's not there. It's not our problem anymore. It's just going to wash away. But now, I mean, now we're seeing the harmful impacts that that's had on our ocean and all of the organisms that are the marine life and even the sea life that are just there in general. Um, We're seeing the overall impacts from that.
0: Yeah, that again, right? 2020 might be that tipping point. It was out of sight, out of mind for the last 60 years, but. But that logic just isn't, isn't holding weight any longer. <laughs> Erica, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show and spread awareness. I really appreciate you and your work. And I know that this conversation is going to help inform a lot of listeners. So thank you so much.
1: No, thank you so much for having us. I mean, this was great. We were so excited that you asked us to be part of your podcast. So I really appreciate it. And I love your podcast. Thank you so much for what you're doing and just notifying your listeners and people in general.
0: I so hope you enjoyed that interview with Erica Bernal of the Plastic Wave Project. I have linked to the Plastic Wave Project in this week's show notes which you can find at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 112. Now, very quickly, I wanted to make note of the eco-friendly products that are on the market that profess to remove microfibers from our wash so that they don't go down through the waterways and into our ocean. So, I'm gonna just quickly mention two types of products. One is a bag. The biggest one on the market is called the Guppy Friend bag in which you place your synthetic clothing into the bag and the bag then traps all the fibers that are shed as you do your laundry. And another product is a ball, like the Cora ball, for example, that floats around in the water and goes around catching all the microfibers swimming around in the washing machine. I searched hard and long to find some empirical research to either support or debunk these products and their claims. But there is no real research done on the efficacy of any of these products. So, the Guppy Friend bag, it is $20. And the Cora Ball, it is around, depending on where you buy it, $38 my two cents here is that if you have anywhere between $20 and $38 to spend on one of these products, it won't hurt, right? But the best practice here is to avoid purchasing synthetic garments altogether. And if you already have some synthetic garments, which I'm sure you do, we all do, (laughs) wash them only rarely. Only wash them when you really need to wash them. And By the way, if you have no idea what a synthetic fiber is, you should absolutely go back and listen to episode 109 of this podcast that's all about eco-friendly fibers. So if you have the money to spend, it won't hurt, but the best practice here is to stop investing in synthetic clothing. That's my two cents. On next week's episode, we are outlining the eight things that minimalists do every Sunday. I will see you then. Have a wonderful week. And take care.